Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. We don't often think of prayer as listening, and I think that's unfortunate. When I was a child, I never understood the idea that someone said I had to listen to God. And no matter what I tried, I simply could never hear any voice. And I always wondered why all the characters in the Bible always heard God's voice, but I never did. Um, as I grew up, I began to discover that God manifests Himself in many ways. And then we hear God's voice in scriptures. We hear God's voice through other people. We hear God's pe- uh, voice in our experiences. Sometimes even in my own feelings and sometimes in our gifts and in our talents. For most of us, prayer is something that we do, speaking words. We're told to say our prayers, and we even learn specific prayers, like the Lord's Prayer, and these are the prayers. But seldom are we ever taught to simply listen. Here's the story of Samuel, a child, who was encouraged from the beginning to listen to God. For me, it took a long time to learn how to listen to God. And I think listening to God is something that we learn, oh, that's what His voice sounds like. See, oftentimes we don't hear Him because we don't know what His voice sounds like or what it's like to experience God. But prayer and listening prayer needs to be something that we do every day. Keep a lookout for God every day in circumstances, in conversations, in your experiences, in your reading of the Scriptures. Maybe, as I've said before, just simply when you're driving in the morning, just turn the radio off and just meditate. And if you want to meditate on the Lord's Prayer, meditate upon the Lord's Prayer. Meditate upon a scripture that you might like or or one that you've been studying recently. And then get in the practice of listening and listening to God. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, page 735 in your pew Bibles. talking about prayer again, a couple other examples of how not to pray. The prayer, also known as the sermon prayer, the lecturer. Lord, forgive this congregation for their failure to tithe. After all, the Bible says that everything is the Lord's. Um, Not a good thing to do. How about the Satanist prayer? Hey devil, I'm sick and tired of you. I put you on notice, you liar, Satan. I'm talking to you. Now listen up. I have authority over... Satan ain't listening to your prayers, folks. Um... Sorry, think about it. If you, if you realize it, Satan's only in one place at a time, and I doubt that he's hanging out at your house. I have a feeling he might be out somewhere else with somebody more important, like Bill Douglas or something like that. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. So, I, I meant you're more important, by the way, because that could be totally taken the wrong way, couldn't it? As we're moving on, so Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> I tell this sermon, t- <laughs> take the headphones out. The question is, why bother? Uh, why do we need to pray? And think about it. God knows everything we need before we ask Him. How are my prayers going to change the will of an all-powerful, holy God who actually is outside of time anyways? I think a lot of people don't pray or don't pray consistently because we don't believe it will simply do any good. I think there's other reasons too, often of course, the fact that I'm, we're self-centered. I mean, think about it. Uh, if I, uh, for me, I'm a learner, if you haven't figured that out yet. So if I read the Bible... Uh, um, and that's something God wants me. I, I, at least I'm learning. I'm getting something out of it. it. It's satisfying a need for myself and a desire for myself. But prayer, I mean, what do I get out of it? And so a lot of people, because of our self-centeredness, I'm not giving up my time or anything else to pray. 
And I think if we have an attitude of prayer doesn't work, then we simply haven't tested God enough. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, well, when you pray, and this will be slightly different than Matthew's version that many of you are familiar with. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, or some translations, because of your persistence, um, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The parable that follows the, the, the prayer illustrates God's willingness to provide for the necessities of his children. The parable begins in verse 5. Jesus said, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me throw three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, in the ancient world, this would have been like, can you imagine a situation like this? Where the friend denies the request. In their world, by the way, the answer was like, no, you can never imagine this happening. In our world, we can kind of imagine someone knocks on your door at midnight and says, can I have some bread? We're like, no, to, you know, go away. We can imagine doing that, but they could not have imagined it. Uh, you see, what happens is, uh, 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 bread is a staple part of their society, part of their culture. It, it, it's, give us this day our daily bread. So, verse 7, let's continue. And suppose the one inside says, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The person inside says, look, um, don't bother me. The, the kids are already in bed. And in, in the ancient world, most houses were, were these one-room houses, which means the kids are sleeping on the floor in the way of the door. The kids sleeping is a bona fide, legitimate excuse as to why I'm not going to get up and give you bread because I've got to wake the kids up. But at the same time, in their culture, the honor of the entire village is at stake. And so because the honor of everyone in the village is at stake, he's going to get up. Can you imagine this happening? The answer is no, I can't imagine this happening. Poor communities were required to share their resources in order to meet such unexpected needs. And what happened in the ancient world was ovens were kept outside. So if this guy's going from house to house to house to see, hey, I, I, you know, I have some guests come in, I didn't bake any bread today. I don't have any extra. He's simply going to find the house with a warm oven. When he finds the house with a warm oven, he knows you've got bread because you made some today. The oven's still warm. So I know you've got bread. Hey, would you please get up and give me three loaves of bread, which is enough bread for a meal. 
for one person. I'm just asking for one meal for one person. I've got a guest. In that culture, you would be obliged to help the person. The whole village would always pitch in to not help that person is dishonoring to everyone. The point of the, of the parable is, this would never happen. And Jesus' answer is, then how much less likely is the Father going to deny your prayers? If you're going to get up at midnight and get some bread and, be, and go out, then how much more would God do it? So verse 9, he continues. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is going to rise up on our behalf. Just like that man would have risen up and fed the stranger. Verse 11. Now which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Uh, again, another hypothetical situation. Look, a child asks his parent for some daily need. A fish, food. You're not going to give him an egg. If he asks you for, uh, I'm sorry, you're not going to give him a snake. If he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. And the answer is, surely God's not going to do that either. Right. Let's go to the beginning of this chapter, verse 1 now, and look at the prayer itself. And again, note that there's some changes from Matthew's version, and it's okay. It's uh, still ultimately the same thing uh, uh, in its basic context. Uh, 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. This is a common practice for a rabbi to have a, a school of disciples who are following him around, and that rabbi is going to teach them certain practices and conducts that are going to be uh, something uh, um, uh, that are known only by those disciples. Right? Uh, so, hey, hey, John taught his disciples how to pray, so teach us how to pray. He said, okay, great. Here's what, here's what you do. When you pray, say, Father, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. But when you pray, begin with Father. And I put in the outline there on the, on the back of the bulletin here. There, there's two statements here. The first is that your name is holy. And the second is that your kingdom come. And as we discussed last, time and, uh, last week and before, the kingdom of God is the totality of God's work in redeeming and restoring creation. The kingdom of God is the totality of God's work in redeeming and restoring creation. So, Father, your name is holy. Your kingdom come. I've said before, and I'll say it again, if you don't know how to pray, and you wonder, how, oh, I don't know how to pray, and I, I don't pray because I don't know how to. Just simply pray the Scriptures, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but let's note it now. Just simply take the Lord's Prayer and pray it. Our Father who is in heaven. I, and by the way, when I pray the Lord's Prayer by myself, I make it my Father who is in heaven. There's no one else with me. <laughs> Our, who, who's the us? It's just me. My Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And just stop for a moment. Do we realize what we just said? I'm praying to the God in heaven. Now remember, by the way, heaven is the realm where God dwells. And heaven is therefore everywhere. It's not like up there. I'm not shooting prayers to some distant God. I hope you can hear me up there. Did I speak loudly? Right? No, He's there. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is Your name. And just stop. 
Because, you know, right, when we pray, oftentimes we just, or we read the Bible, we kind of go through things, and we don't really think about whatever we're saying. But if you stop and go, oh, I'm praying to a God who is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, by the way, it's extremely important to note that we can't pray for God's kingdom to come and then get up and go seek our own interests the rest of the day. Your kingdom come. Okay, great. I'm done. Great. What time does the game start? What's for lunch? Okay. This, you, you, if I go throughout the entire day and I don't think about actually living out God's kingdom, it doesn't mean, by the way, you can't watch the game and eat lunch. It just means if I go throughout the day without thinking about God and His kingdom, then my prayer is trite and empty. Verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgiven everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The prayer began with two statements. And now it has three requests. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread reminds us that we're daily dependent upon God. Of course, an Israelite listening to this, a Jewish person listening to Jesus, would immediately have thought about Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. If you know the story, the Israelites become slaves in Egypt, and Moses, through, uh, God through Moses, leads them out of slavery into the, the wilderness of Mount Sinai. But the wilderness is the wilderness. There ain't no food in the wilderness. That's what makes it a wilderness. So what happened? Every day they got up and there was manna, bread, uh, food on the ground. But they were only allowed to take one day's portion. If you take more than one day's portion, you try to hoard it, and, right? Because you don't trust that God's going to provide you tomorrow's food. That bread's going to spoil, and it's going to be really bad stuff for your community. The only exception was Friday, where they took two days, because they aren't going to gather bread on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. But give us this day our daily bread. Enough for today. Right? So often we pray and we think about God and we pray about, well, I, you know, I need this and I need that. And, and they're not necessarily bad, but we focus so much on everything for the future, we forget today. I need my daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We should never ask God to do something in our prayers that we are not willing to do ourselves. Forgive me, God. I can't forgive them. You won't believe what they did to me. And God's answer is, do you have any clue what you did to me? And I'm forgiving you. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Lead us not into temptation. I like to say it this way. Lead me not into temptation, for I'm doing a mighty fine job all by myself. Right? Because we do, right? But lead us not into temptation means that I also need to do what? I need to step out and seek ways to make sure that I'm not leading myself into temptation as well. The Gospel of Matthew adds, and deliver us from the evil one, which I believe is the best way to translate. It's not deliver us from evil. The translation should be deliver us from the evil one. We have an adversary. We have an opponent who might not be hanging around my house and hearing my prayers, but he still has his legions and his forces who are after us. All right, the question then is how do we apply this for our lives today? How do we apply this for today? Well, first thing is this God often does miraculous things through prayer. We often fail to pray because we don't think it's going to do any good, and the answer is then just test them and try. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. Now let me also note before we go on, that is, prayer does not absolve us from our responsibility. 
Hey, dear God, I want you to take care of my health. And I'm praying this while eating a cheeseburger, a bag of chips, and a soda. That I bought on a credit card that has a key ring that has my gym membership that I never go to. I'm not sure God's going to really fully hear that prayer. He might, by the way, but I doubt it. If we want God to take care of our health and to bless us in our health, then we also need to make sure that we are making provisions to do the best that we can within limits of caring for our own health. God bless my finances as I go off and pay for everything on credit cards. With, so when the payment comes in, I have no clue how I'm going to make the payment. I'll just pray to God, help. No. Prayer does not absolve us from our responsibility. All right, let me make a couple of notes. Number one, is it okay? It is okay to use repetition in prayer. It is okay to use repetition in prayer. For a long time, I looked at this verse, Matthew 6, verse 7, and I stumbled over it. It says, When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. The NIV says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because they're many words. I used to think that that verse, Matthew 6, verse 7, meant that I couldn't use repetitious prayer. I, I couldn't pray, Our Father who is in heaven, Our Father who is in heaven, Our Father, holy is your name. Holy, because that's repetitious. But here's the reality. Think about this. We say the Lord's Prayer in church, and we might say it at the end of the service today. And, and then if we say it a week later in church again, are we being repetitious? No, because a week's gone by. Clearly, we're not being repetitious. All right. How about if I say the Lord's Prayer today, and then I say it again tomorrow? Am I being repetitious? No, because clearly a day has gone by. How about if I say it today, and then I say it an hour later? And am I being... No, an hour's gone... The question is, how much time has to transpire before it's no longer repetitious? The answer is, no matter what amount of time I say, it's going to be an arbitrary number. You have to wait 30 minutes. Like that old myth that you have to wait 30 minutes before you can eat after eating before you can go in a pool. Folks, seriously, I think mom and dad made that up just so we could like not go in the pool. I don't know why they didn't want us in the pool. We were like quiet and out of their hair when we were in the pool. Like, yeah, oh, kids, go in the pool and eat in it. That's what my parents would have done or should have done. All right. So the idea, though, is being repetitious in our prayers means I can repeat the Lord's Prayer twice in my lifetime or even repetition. What the passage says is do not use meaningless repetition. Let me bring back up the previous, uh, the, the New American Standard. Do not use meaningless repetition because the Gentiles suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. The idea of because I said it enough times, therefore now God has heard it. That's what Jesus is condemning. This idea that God's going to hear me because I said it enough times. We already read a parable earlier in the service that tells us that sometimes if we just keep begging and pleading and pleading, even an unjust judge is going to tell that woman, okay, here, you can have justice just to get her out of my hair. Certainly God will answer our prayers as well. And think about it, by the way. Revelation chapter uh, um, uh, 6, chapter 4 says, the angels before the throne of God, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. There's nothing wrong with repetition. This prayer in, in Revelation 4 was repeated over and over and over. Repetition itself is not bad. So if you're struggling with how to pray, I might suggest to you, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And just keep meditating on that. And then maybe go to the next part. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Yeah, your kingdom come, not mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, do your will on earth. Just keep over repeating it and focusing on it. 
Forgive me my transgressions, my sins, as I forgive others. And maybe I meditate upon people I haven't forgiven. Maybe I meditate upon my sins that I'm praying before a holy God because holy is your name. You're the one in heaven. And, oh, I've sinned before you. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Oh, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Help me to see the places where I'm leading myself into temptation and lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Oh, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. How do we pray? Pray the scriptures. Repetition can help us focus. Now, mind you, by the way, God doesn't, of course, need us to pray. In fact, oftentimes prayer is something that I need to do. Prayer reminds me of, that I am dependent upon God. In prayer, I'm denying myself and turning to God. If it were up to me, I'd be doing something else to help like, get the tasks done. That's just the way I am. Prayer is my way of stopping, or God's way of stopping me, and reminding me that I'm really dependent upon Him. Now, if you think about it, here's another key, and that's this. When we pray, and we are persistent in prayer, then God gets the glory. When we're persistent in prayer, then God gets the glory. You see, we can often do things, and we can get a committee of people together and plan it out and, and think it through and raise some money to do the, you know. And we could, we could do all the work ourselves, and at the end of the day, the work, what a successful uh, uh, event. We had 50 new kids here and 20 new uh, conversions, and we did 16 baptisms. Uh, what a great job we did. But see, when we simply make all the focus ourselves doing the task, we get the glory. When we stop and pray before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting, apart from the meeting, we're letting God know, Lord, we want this to be a success. We want to see those changes in lives and people coming in and knowing Christ and lives of our own congregations being, being transformed. But it's got to be in a way that you get the glory. I've seen too many pastors and too many church leaders who have gone down because they built an enterprise without prayer. And at the end of the day, they took all the glory for themselves. I challenge you now to spend the next month in rich prayer towards God and see what happens. I don't believe chair, uh, you know, prayer uh, uh, works. Take the next month and spend it in rich prayer and see what happens. But here, let me give you another key, and that's this. The change may often be you and not your circumstances. You want to see something happen in prayer, guess what's going to happen? Your circumstances may not change, but God will begin to change you. God will often delay the answer to our prayers. How many of you have experienced that? Right? God will often delay the answer to our prayers. Annoyingly so. Right? I mean, it drives us batty. Does he not know I've got other things to get done? Does he not know I can't do this until I know the answer to this? Does he not know there's a deadline for that? And God's like, I'm fully aware of all that stuff. I personally believe that oftentimes in my own experience that when God has not answered a prayer, it says answer is because you're not ready for my answer yet. I need to change you. Because, you see, if I tell you the answer now, you'll go off and do it this way, and I want it done that way, and you're not ready to do it that way. You've got to change. I need you to be different. 
I need you to rely upon me more. I need you to be more dependent upon me. I need the, you know, that, air, that anger issue. We've got to soften that a little bit because if we don't, this is going to go and then you're going to get the glory for yourself and not me and it's not going to work. So God simply says, not yet. Not now. It's also important that in prayer that we learn to agree that it's really God's will and not ours that we're praying for. Let me give you another thought, and that is this. What about prayer as listening? I mentioned this earlier in the service. How much of our prayer time is spent listening? I believe that, it's, that part of this learning is to always be in, a, in an attitude of prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Pray continually. The, the New American Standard says, Pray without ceasing. And you think about it, like, well, how can I do that? I've got to go to work. How about if we have an attitude and a heart that is always attuned to God and to Christ? Everything I say is prayerful. Nothing I say to you in a speech is, is something I wouldn't say to God in prayer. If everything we're doing is this attitude of prayer, then we can constantly be listening. Be in the spirit of prayer at all times. Notice that God, by the way, doesn't often speak to us when we are praying. He speaks to us whenever He wants to. And this, by the way, I think is one of the worst things about our modern, technologically advanced society. We have the ability with cell phones and computers and all these smart TVs and everything else and, and whatever that thing is in your house. Turn the lights on, whatever that lady's name is. Right? Uh, we have all this technology and what we learn to do is the, the technology helps us do everything faster and we simply learn to do more. We learn to do more. We don't even know our neighbors. We come home from a house, we drive in the garage without even getting out of the car. We drive in, we shut the garage door, and we walk into the house, and we don't even ever see our neighbors. And then when we walk in the house, the first thing we do is turn on the TV. And we're constantly berated by sound, by noise, by busyness. And we can't hear God in the midst of it. Next question is how do we pray? The answer is there's no formula. Other than the Lord's Prayer, we don't have any models of prayer or praying in the New Testament. We have people praying in the New Testament, but we don't have any models of this is how we're supposed to pray beyond the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing in the text that says that, this, that we should stand or sit or kneel or look up or look down. Our hands should be this way, that way, this way, folded, crossed, whatever. None of that. There's nothing in the, in the Scriptures about this. You might see in the Israelite world, by the way, they lifted up holy hands to prayer. And Paul will say, lift up holy hands. But that's not an absolute command. That was apparently what their culture did. And it's okay if we do it. It's okay if we don't do it. So let me give you two thoughts about this as we close. Number one, practice. Practice how to pray. As we practice, as we pray, we'll learn how to get better at it. But there's also a danger in practicing how to pray. Just on the point of it is just simply do it. But if we're worried about praying with eloquence, with skill, in such a way that people like our prayers, then all of a sudden, guess what's going to get in the way? Our arrogance. My prayer sounds better than your prayer. And I like the way they pray. All of a sudden, now arrogance gets in the way. And the answer is, God cares about our heart. There's the parable of the prayer of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee says, this eloquent prayer. And then the tax collector sa it says, he wouldn't even look up to God and he says, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the guy that went home justified. Not the Pharisee who had the beautiful flowery prayer. 
the tax collector, who wouldn't even look up to God. You see, they looked up in that day. This guy, he wouldn't, because God saw his heart. Some prefer that what's called the ACTS method of prayer. A-C-T-S. A, A is for adoration. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. C is for confession. Forgive me of my sins. T is for thanksgiving. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for the, my daily bread. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my family. Thank you for whatever you've given. And then the S is for supplication, which is a nice way of saying requests. We pretty much, by the way, we got that one down, don't we? Right? When we pray, we're really good at the request part. But if we start with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and requests. And by the way, I don't pray that way. Just, you know, but some people do. Whatever might work. As I said earlier, pray the scriptures. Use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. Read the book of Psalms. Um, read through the scriptures. Find these prayers in Samuel and other, other places. Um, most of us simply do not spend enough time praying and listening to God. And so here's my challenge to you, and that is unplug. Take the earphones out. Take the headphones out. God is not going to speak to us, and we're not going to hear his voice in the midst of all the sound. So I challenge you. Set your cell phones aside for a certain, amount, a certain period of time every, every day. When you go to the dinner table, don't bring your cell phone to the table. You know how it is. You're in a meeting with somebody and all of a sudden they get a text message and they're like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. No, I don't agree. That, that, right? and, and, they're, and they're disrupted because they're on their cell phones. Put it aside for a period of time every day. Don't bring it to the dinner table. Don't look at it while you're talking to somebody else. Turn it over, face down. So if the message comes up and it buzzes or whatever, it doesn't matter. You don't know what it is. Spend time in your car without music or podcasts or radio. Just meditate. Uh, as I said before, it's so easy for us as pastors and church leaders to simply to give you more things to do and to make you feel guilty for not doing them. And then go, well, I want to do this, but the pastor said I had to do that. Now I feel guilty because I want to, I'm going to go ahead and do this. and just not, I'm not going to listen to him today. How about if we simply take the things that we're already doing and just begin to use them for Christ? We already drive the car. We already spend time there. Use that as your prayer time. Okay. Now, unplug a little bit here and there so that you have more time. And you can take the extra time to pray and listen. Now, how do we know if God's speaking to us? Real quickly, and the answer is this. As we begin to hear his voice, we're going to learn his voice better and better. If you believe that God might be speaking to you in a particular situation and you're not sure if it's his voice or not, continue to pray and discern. Ask God more and more and more. And then listen to others. Hey, I believe God might be saying this to me. What do you think? Let me ask the question. How many of you believe, and I want you to look around the room, and if you don't like raising your hands, that's okay, but how many of you believe that at some point in your life God has spoken to you definitively? Okay, now if your hand is not raised, look around at those whose hands are raised. And I, and I encourage you during coffee fellowship or whatever to go around, if your hand's not raised, and say, hey, tell me about your experience. Tell me what it was like, because I don't know that I've ever heard God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you, of course, for the cross and the resurrection and the forgiveness that you've given to us that we can experience being children of God and the hope that is provided for us in that. 
But Lord, we're reminded this morning that you want much more from us and for us now. You didn't just save us so we can have some hope in the future. You saved us so we can experience the kingdom of God now. And yet we run about in our own ways and busyness of our own lives, pursuing pleasure, power, satisfaction, gratification, and many things, all of which you really offer us ultimately the peace that is in and through Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that you will help us and to challenge us to be a praying community so that you might do a mighty work in us and through us. So that when we have 12 baptisms, as we did in the last few weeks, it's not because of our hard work, because, but it's because of the grace and mercy and power and presence of the Lord God Almighty in us and through us. And so we pray for 12 baptisms in August and September. Not because of our diligence and our efforts alone, but because of your mercy and of your grace and of your power, knowing that you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Help us to not be afraid to ask. But we pray, Lord, that indeed, that you would change us more than you would change our circumstances. That you would be glorified in all things. We thank you now in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song here in just a moment, but we're going to ask you all to stand up. And uh, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We have it on the screen, Mirka? Or Kenzie? There we go. Thank you. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as it's up on the screen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.